Let's pray together this morning. I just invite you to enjoy some silence for a moment and connect with God. Glory be to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, so it is now, and so it will be forever. High King of Heaven, our victory is won. And for that, we say thank you. For that, we give ourselves to you in complete trust and assurance that you do all things well. We thank you for the gifts that you give us, and most importantly, the gift of yourself. Of a God who is so transcendent and yet so close to be with us through the Spirit of Christ, to move among us, to whisper in our hearts and our minds, to shout when we need to have our attention grabbed. The God who has always turned to us in love. <clears throat> Thank you for the, for the biblical writers <clears throat> and the way that they, um, through partnership with you, have captured uh, this amazing love letter that you've given to humanity and how the love letter culminates in yourself coming in person to deliver it and then inviting us to journey with you in faith. As we spend some time this morning listening to the scriptures, we pray that you would give us an openness to hear and a willingness to integrate into our lives the things that you would have us hear and learn and do. We pray together as your people. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank uh, Christopher Rosevere for uh, teaching us last week, introducing a new series called The Politics of Jesus. And we thought just for fun, we'd talk about religion and politics 
uh, every Sunday. So, and uh, the, the two things that you're not supposed to talk about in public. And, uh, and I really appreciated Christopher's tagline from last week, if you were here, which was, don't be an idiot. And, and I just thought, that's so um, Christopher. So, <clears throat> yeah, Christopher, thank you for just teaching us about um, the blind man who called out for Jesus to heal him and for Zacchaeus. I'd like to start today by telling you a story about my friend Rob. Rob and I, um, there was a, a time uh, many years ago where our family had been through um, quite, a, quite a large tragedy in 1999, um, and I actually took a year off from ministry for us to recover, and uh, we lost a whole family in an accident, and it was, it was just a really bad time in life. So I just took, took a year off, and I worked at a furniture store, one of those mom-and-pop shops where you do everything, um, selling, assembling, delivering, fixing, um, all of that. And Rob and I were in the truck together, and Rob was this um, big, burly guy, very soft-spoken. And when you are working all day every day with somebody and you're riding along in the truck together, you end up talking a lot. And of course, he knows who I am and what I do. So a lot of our conversations just naturally went to talking about things of faith. And Rob would ask questions, and we'd have these great opportunities, just in a very conversational, friendship way, talking about Jesus. And, and along the way, I sense Rob was really curious and kind of wanting to maybe explore this further, but really being unsure and unwilling to commit. And I remember having a conversation one time in the truck, and, and he was kind of like, I, I just don't know. Because what if, you know, it's not what I was thinking it is? What if Jesus isn't what you're telling me? And I just don't know if I have all the answers and if I know enough before I can commit. And I, and I don't know what to do. And so in that moment, you know, I don't, can't remember if I was driving or not, but I, I remember thinking, okay, God, I need some help. So Rob was fairly newly married, and, and I said, do you remember meeting Kelly? Kelly was his wife, and you got to know her. And there were so many things that you knew about her, but there were a lot of things that you didn't know about her while you were dating. And you guys were getting married, and, and there was that time when you realized, that moment when you said to yourself, I need to grab this. Maybe that's not the right analogy. I, um, I need to latch on to this moment and not lose her. And I said, Rob, when, when, you were, when you were ready, you knew that you were going to give 100% of yourself to her. And you were going to ask her to marry. And you were excited about that. But you didn't have all the answers. There were things about her that you, you didn't know that you've discovered since you got married. And some of them have been fun discoveries. But you knew enough, and, and you just realized it's all or nothing and we had talked about the beauty of, of a healthy marriage when both people give themselves 100% to each other. Not like the 50% or the, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in and I'm, I'm riding the fence on this one. No, when you're in love with someone and you want to spend your life with them, you're all in. And so we talked about that. And, and I said, Rob, like, how much more do you need to know before you're just willing to say, I've got to trust that I, that I know enough 
and that Jesus is going to be real in the way that I'm hoping he's going to be real, just like he did for Kelly, that she would be the kind of wife that he was hoping she would be. And without coercion, we're just leaving it with Rob, eventually one day he, he said, you know what, Paul? I'm ready. And, and he gave his life to the Lord. And, uh, and I had the privilege of baptizing him. It's one of the most memorable baptisms I've, I've ever done because the baptismal tank was, uh, the person went down a set of steps in the water and I went down a set of steps beside them, not in the water, so I could stay just like this. And uh, remember I said he was a big guy, so because I knew him and I loved him, I thought when I baptized him, I'd hold him down for a while um, to make sure that it took. And so I really pushed him down but the joke was on me because the water splashed up over the edge and just hit me here, down. And, and then I had to preach after that. So, so I said to the congregation, I was so excited about baptizing Rob that I wet myself. And um, <clears throat> so I know that's TMI for some of you, and uh, the images will go away, away eventually. All that brings me to... A story that Jesus tells today, um, a parable about the kingdom of God. And as Christopher led us last week in the story about the blind man and Zacchaeus, Jesus often takes the things that we assume to be normal and regular behavior and turns them upside down. So if you remember the story of, of blind, actually um, some of the gospel writers name him Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus means son of filth. So it gives you an idea of how people viewed him. And he's shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd is saying to Bartimaeus, what do they say to him? Shut up. You are in the way. You're a nuisance. Go away. And then what Jesus does to the crowd that are saying to this guy, you're not valuable enough. Jesus says, oh, actually go and get him and escort him to me. So Jesus elevates him as a person of importance and makes the crowd escort him to Jesus. I love how he does that. He messes with their heads just like he messes with ours. And then for Zacchaeus, who's hiding in the tree, you know, and, and likely because he's short, but also likely because he didn't have his entourage with him. As a tax collector, he had his bodyguards, his thugs to protect him. But when they're not around, people aren't too kind to Zacchaeus. And they would rather he be dead. And Jesus stops the crowd and says, yeah, I'm going to his house for tea. If you want to come along, come along. And then, of course, he flips the tables and says, this guy, you know, um, obviously there was a decision, something happened in Zacchaeus' life, and he just says, I'm changing my ways. And Jesus says, good enough for me, son of Abraham, true child of God. These are the kind of people I came to save, those who understand that they're as good as dead. Because the only people Jesus can raise to life are those who realize their own death. Those who are trying to hold on to their life can't be saved. And that leads to the story that we're doing today. Because I think Jesus is still in the home of Zacchaeus, or at least nearby, and the crowd's still around. And then Luke, in Luke 19, verse 11, tells us that Jesus is going to try to change their image of the kingdom. So they're expecting him. He's in Jericho, down low. He's going up the mountain to Jerusalem. And remember what I've said from Luke 9 to Luke 19. Luke's been leading us on this journey through his writings of Jesus traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem for 10 chapters. And we're getting close to showdown time. 
The tension is building. Everybody knows sparks are going to fly. And they're expecting Jesus to go into Jerusalem and kick butt. And then Luke writes this in verse 11. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. And here's the story that he told them. A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. And before he left, he called together ten of his servants, and he divided among them ten pounds of silver. And he said, invest this for me while I'm gone. I would love to be able to do that. Here's ten grand, here's ten grand, here's ten grand. Invest it for me while I'm gone. The people, though, hated this man, and they sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want him to be our king. And then the next line. After he was crowned king, he returned, and he called in the servants to whom he had given the money, and he wanted to find out what their profits were. So the first servant reported, Master, I invested your money, and I made ten times the amount you gave me. Well done, the king exclaimed. You're a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted you, so you'll be governor of ten cities as your reward. And the next servant reported, Master, I invested your money, and I made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You'll be governor of five cities. And the third servant brought back only the original amount of money. And he said, Master, I hid your money and I kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with. You take what's not yours and you harvest crops that you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you at least deposit my money in the bank? Then I could have gotten some interest on it. And then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from that servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. Master, he already has 10 pounds, they said. Yes, the king replied. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken from them. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in here and execute them in front of me. And they lived happily ever after to the end of their days. I love the stories Jesus tells. Because sometimes you're just like, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, where's that, you know, warm, fuzzy, thumbs-up Jesus that sits on the dashboard? And then you've got him telling the story about the king. So, what is this story about? Does it sound familiar to some of you? You might be thinking, oh yeah, that's about the talents. Like, you know, talents, which was a unit of measurement in Jesus' day, but could refer to the talents that we've been given now, the gifts and the resources we have. That's from Matthew 25. 
And it's actually, I think, I might be wrong, but I think it's a different story. Have you ever told a story more than once? Yeah? Anybody who's fished has. Yeah. Or hunted or gone on a really cool trip. And, and we have a habit of telling stories, and we actually change the story depending on the circumstances. So that story I just told you about Rob, I know I've told it before, and I probably maybe use different parts of that from my memory and, and whatever. And I think what's going on here is Jesus has a story that he's been telling over and over again as he's been traveling, and Matthew gives a copy of it for us in Matthew 25, but it's three servants, and they're given different amounts of money. It's not a nobleman, it's just a guy, and, and there's a different outcome, and you can read about that. In this story, Jesus is telling the story, Luke tells us, for a very specific reason, because they need their thinking and their understanding to be corrected. Because they've got ideas about who God is, how God operates in this world, and Jesus is saying, let me help you. And he tells them this story. So everybody who heard this story knew about a recent event that had happened. So if you're familiar a little bit with the biblical story, when Jesus was born, there was a king who tried to kill him, and his name was Herod. Let's say that together. Herod. Okay, so the king who tried to kill Jesus when he was born was named And then he died not long after Jesus was born. And then later there was a king when Jesus was crucified. And his name was, I'm not sure, Herod Jr. His name was Herod Antipas. And guess what Herod Antipas did? After Herod the Great died, uh, his kingdom kind of fell apart. And he had a few sons, and they were vying for who was going to get to be king in different regions and different parts. And the only way you could do that, because they were occupied by the Romans, was to go to Rome and talk to Caesar and say, hey, make me king. So Herod Antipas travels to Rome to be made king over the region in and around Galilee, Judea. And guess what happened? A group of people went right after him to oppose him becoming king. And he wasn't successful. And Jesus is telling them a story about a nobleman going away to a distant country to be made king. And everybody knows there's a a reference going on here about the way politics works in their world at that time. And I think they're expecting Jesus to get to Jerusalem. And if he is who who he says he is, the Son of Man or the Messiah, different characters in some ways, people are expecting him to behave the way they think he should behave. Only you and I know on this side of the story that they had their ideas a little bit mixed up and Jesus is correcting those ideas. So this story that he tells is to make them think about the kingdom. We hear this story and typically we think, oh, this is about investing the gifts that God has given us and maybe the wealth that God has given us or the skills that we have or the spiritual gifts that we have. And if we don't do that, then then they're going to be taken from us and it's a waste. I'm not sure that's how we're supposed to understand this story. I think maybe the Matthew one lends itself more to that thinking but I'm not sure that that's the case in this story. Not that it isn't 
I just don't think that's the, the main idea of what's coming out in the story. Because if you remember, he was wanting to correct their idea of the kingdom. How God operates in this world. And I love that Jesus tells stories to do this. So I don't think the story is about using your gifts and investing or else you're going to lose them. And I think if we focus too much on that, we kind of miss the main point of the story. So what is it about then? If it's not about that, what is it about? I think it's about faith. I think it's about faith and being all in and trusting that Jesus is the God that we need to know and meet more than the God that we have in our head. And Jesus is spending his ministry then and now through the Spirit, helping us come to greater awareness of who God actually is. The more we get to know Jesus, the more we get to know God, because I think God always looks like Jesus. And so very um, often, Jesus tells stories about the kingdom of God. So if you go online and you just type in parables about the kingdom of God, you just get a whole list through the Gospels of stories Jesus told about the kingdom over and over and over again. Very rarely does Jesus put himself in the story. I think this might be one of those stories where Jesus is actually inserting himself in the story in a cryptic kind of way. Because he says... He's going to correct their idea of the kingdom because they're expecting him to do something that he's not prepared to do, which is to go in and militaristically, politically take over. And he's like, no, my politics are a little bit different than that. And so he tells them a story about a nobleman. I think the nobleman in this story is Jesus. And he says that nobleman went to a distant empire. He went on a long journey. And I think that's a cryptic way of Jesus referencing his own death. And then that nobleman who went away to get crowned king actually gets crowned king. And I think that's a reference to his resurrection. And I think in a rare instance, Jesus has put himself in the story because he's trying to help people understand who he is and how he operates. And of course, there are servants in this story. And you might be thinking, I'm always careful about like using stories of Jesus for allegory. Like everything has a meaning. It's one way that people have often interpreted parables of Jesus in an allegorical kind of way. So I'm, I'm a little bit careful about that. But I do think, you know, and, and maybe, maybe I'm off on this, but I think it makes sense on everything else we've been noticing in Luke as we've been following along and looking through it. And this king acts in ways that you don't expect. Some of it you do, and some of it you don't. So there's this sense here, if we just walk through, the first servant who was given talents, you know, he's basically being told, go and invest this. And there's a sense of, you know who I am, and you know what I expect. So go for it. And he does. And he comes back with ten times the amount. He gets rewarded. The other one does the same thing. Goes back, comes back with five times the amount. He's rewarded. The third one 
Very different response, isn't it? I hid it. Because I know who you are. I know what you're like. And then he discovers that he doesn't quite know what the nobleman is like. And he doesn't quite understand what he's like. In fact, it goes really poorly for him. And I read the story and I found myself wondering, what about the other seven? They're not even talked about in this story. There were ten servants. What happened to the other seven? We're not told. But what we do know is that the third one had his money taken from him. And what messed with everybody's head is the king said, give it to the one with the most. Give it to the one who has the most. And we would say, oh, that sounds like taxes in Canada today. We don't like that. And the people listening to the story wouldn't, would have responded just the way that the people in the story do. Why are you giving it to the one who has the most? And there's this sense of, because I can. Because there's more than enough to go around. This is not going to run out. Let me tell you another story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 20. I like this story too. It was about people that were hired every day to work for the day and then they got paid at the end of the day. So not the kind of economy we're used to, but in places of the world, this still happens. People go to the town square, and they wait, and landowners come, and they pick up in their pickup truck, they throw a bunch of them in the back of the pickup truck, and they take them back to their farm, and they work for the day, and at the end of the day, they get paid. So in this story that Jesus tells in Matthew 20, guy comes, picks up a, a truckload of workers, and says, I'll pay you for the day, work for the day, so they do. Then he goes back at noontime. And there's still people there. So he picks up another truckload, brings them to his farm. They work for half the day. Then he goes at 3 o'clock and he picks them up. And then he goes at the last hour of the day. There's actually still people at the town square. That blows my mind. Like, I guess they just spent the day there and they figure, well, I might as well just stay here with my friends and drink because there's nothing else to do. So he picks up the ones at the last hour of the day, takes them back to the farm. They work for an hour. Then it's pay time. Everybody's happy. And the owner says, well, let's get the guys who work just the hour. I'm going to pay them. And how much does he pay them? The whole day's wage. So if you were the person that was hired at 9 o'clock in the morning, you're like, yes. He only worked an hour and he got a day's wage. And it goes through everybody. And guess how much the people who started at 9 o'clock got paid? A day's wage. And they are so happy about it. Not at all. They're like, dude. You paid them a day's wage and they only worked an hour. That is not right. And he says back to them, dude, you agreed to work for the day and get paid for the day. I have not cheated you at all. If I want to be generous with them, what is that to you? It's my money. And it's this wonderful story about the grace of God for people. It is not going to run out. And in the politics of our day, you earn what you get. And if you get more than you deserve, we don't like it. So take from the one who doesn't understand who I am and isn't going to be all in with me and give it to the one who has all of it. Because I've got lots to share. And people are walking away like, man, this is not what I was expecting.
It's kind of interesting. Because, in a sense, this nobleman who gets crowned king comes back, and he kind of has an expectation of these servants. Like, you know who I am and how I operate. And two of them are just like, yeah, I'm going for it. I know who this guy is, and I know what he wants of us, and I'm all in. I'm for him, and I'm going to risk it. And if I lose it, I lose it. But they don't. But the one who thinks he knows them so well is just kind of trying to hedge his bets. And it just reminds me of of this uh, saying that Jesus said earlier in Luke. If you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. You've got to let it go. And be all in. This is a story, I think, about being all in in faith and realizing that when we operate from a scarcity model, like we do so much in this world, we're missing the beauty of God's kingdom. Because all the things that we would love to receive from him are there for the taking. And then there's the ending to this story. Let's just read it again to help ourselves. As for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. Remember earlier I talked about Herod Antipas and Herod the Great? In that day and age, this is really familiar stuff for people. I mean, you just have to read a little bit about about, um, rulers in that day. And this kind of stuff happened all the time. So for those people, this is not unusual. But then we're left with this idea, like, that doesn't sound like the loving Jesus. You see, some people point to this and say, oh, you see? And I'm like, hang on. This is a story. This isn't, this isn't real. This doesn't mean that Jesus, when he comes back, is going to make everybody who doesn't believe in him stand in front and get executed and slaughtered in front of him, and somehow he's going to take joy in that. Because that's not the Jesus that we meet in the scriptures over and over again. But I think he's adding this because he wants us to understand the warning that's here. That there is judgment. There is and there will be judgment. But again, remember Jesus was telling the story to correct their image of the kingdom? I think Jesus does a lot of storytelling and living to correct our idea of even what judgment is. Because we tend to want to operate in the politics of this world. And the kingdom of God and the politics of Jesus happen in a very different way. So if you will, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus is telling lots of stories about the kingdom. And quite a number of them have this idea of judgment. But I find something really fascinating, and I'm really grateful for um, one, of the, one of the scholars that I read um, raised this, and I just, it really stuck with me. And it's this idea that in almost all the stories Jesus tells, it has this idea of judgment. People start on the inside, and then they choose to opt out. So in this story, Everybody has the opportunity for this man to be their king. But some of them don't want it. And so they're going to oppose it. But they all are given the opportunity 
and the chance to just be in and to celebrate and to enjoy. But some of them choose to opt out. And in this story, the way Jesus tells it is, if you're going to opt out, then so be it. Far be it from me to impose myself upon you. But understand this, if you're not all in, then you're out. And that has consequences. But everybody starts on the inside. You think about the, the wedding banquet stories that Jesus tells. Everybody's invited to the banquet. But some of them opt out. That creates a very different understanding and awareness about judgment. Not that, oh well, it doesn't matter. Come on in anyway. But that the choice is on individuals, on people, to decide whether you're all in or you're all out. I think when it comes to following Jesus, this is, this is the crux of this story. You're all in because you know who the king is and you know how he operates. And you're not afraid to take chances. But if you're hedging your bets, trying to live in both worlds, I'm not sure I really trust you, so I'm just going to keep this to myself and then try to give it back to you and say, look what I did. Doesn't that make me worthy? And then we only discover that that grace is never going to run out. And living that way just misses the understanding and, and the mark and the awareness of who Jesus is. Just think about that conversation with Rob. Rob, you're either all in with her or you're, or you're not. And then that penny dropped for him. He's like, okay. And to this day, as far as I know, Rob's still following Jesus as a disciple and learning all kinds of wonderful things about him. And I just think there's this, you know, warning at the end, like stop trying to head your bets. Just go for it. You know, the 10 chapters that we've been reading through, if you just go back and look through those, you're going to see story after story after story of people having to come to a realization that the only ones Jesus can save are those who are willing to accept their own death. In the kingdom of Jesus and his politics, it's the last, the least, the lost, and the lonely, and the deadbeats that are the very people who are able to experience and celebrate the life-giving uh, death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus can't save people who are already trying to hold on to their life in their own way. And he's not going to force them. But he is going to invite them. And he is going to say, just understand that there are consequences to the decisions you make and the life you choose to live. But the invitation is always present and ready. And so if you go back to Luke 9, when his disciples are kind of realizing who he is, Jesus says to them, if you want to be my disciple, someone who follows me all in, then every day you need to take up your cross, die to yourself, 
and follow me. Because when you try to hold on to your life as if somehow uh, you've got more value than somebody else, you're going to lose it because you don't understand who I am. But if you'll let it go, oh, what kind of life you're going to have. And the people like the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the lepers and the deaf and the lame, the least, the last, the lost, the lonely, and the deadbeats, they are the ones who seem so capable of getting it. And for all of Jesus' disciples who are part of the crowd, the story is for them too. You're either in or you're out. And there's amazing grace that I'll never, ever run out. But I'm not going to force you to, to stay with me. It's a good story. I hope it sticks with you. And I hope it challenges your understanding of who God is. That ruler who wants us to give up what we think is something good or something even better. Every day. Let's pray. think the prayer of that tax collector just in the last chapter is the prayer for us today God Lord Jesus Christ son of mercy son of God have mercy on us amen you're free to go Enjoy the day. Stay around, visit some people, spend some time getting to know people. Uh, do it outside in the parking lot where it's nice and warm and sunny. Uh, we'd love to have you back next week. And um, Lord willing, uh, we'll just carry on in this series. We'll see you next Sunday. <laughs>